good, all that is sacred, and in the warm and loving energy of this community, Spiritual Life Center. If you're joining us for the first time, we especially want to welcome you because we know that you are not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Thank you for joining us on your unique path today, and we hope you enjoy this special message from this past Sunday's service. Dreamed of rain and the rain yes. came. Ah, we dreamed of summers and the winds changed. And dreamed of heaven and the earth sang. Well, of course, we want to keep the earth singing. And I think the earth is always singing when we take care of it. You know, uh, Keep the water clean, the, the air fresh, the soil rich with nutrients. Now, sometimes maybe instead of singing, it's screeching, though, because uh, sometimes uh, we humans don't take care of it. We're sometimes inflicting some pain upon the earth. Now, I always say that when we do that, you know, when we maybe pollute and do things like that, the earth is not going to go anywhere. We could do all of that stuff, but what will happen to earth will belch and we'll be gone, but it'll still be here. Yeah. It'll be saying something to the effect, well, it's, it was nice knowing you. <laughs> so, of course, what we want to do is to clean up our act, do what we can while we're here, because the earth is always going to be here, as far as I know. Anyway, I say all of that because I was reminded a while back as we're preparing talks for this month, that this past Friday was Earth Day. And I said, okay, I'll give a talk on Earth Day, about Earth Day. Now, I don't know if you ever had these thoughts run through your mind and you say, now, that sounded good at the time. Because I'm not quite certain what to say about it other than take care of the Earth. But Earth Day's been happening since... 1970, and the first Earth Day was April the 22nd. And from my understanding that many years and decades before that, many people on the Earth, particularly maybe in this country, particularly maybe we were driving gas guzzlers and inefficient automobiles and, you know, used up lots of leaded gasoline. I remember back at that time, I, uh, I had a muscle car. A Pontiac GTO. I used to call that car gas, tires, and oil. That car used up a lot of gas. <laughs> I don't know if I can even afford it today. I wouldn't be able to. But many of us were belching out a lot of smoke and stuff into the air. And, and I think maybe at that time, maybe pollution was just accepted as, as the smell of prosperity. And many of the world was pretty much oblivious to the effect it was having on our environment. 
or the damage it may have been doing to our human health and our well-being. And from my understanding, in the early 60s, there was a, a watershed moment because there was a book that was written entitled Silent Spring. And it was published uh, around that time, and it became a bestseller all over the, the, the planet. Maybe it sold maybe over half a million copies, which was a lot at that time. And apparently that particular publication raised public awareness that the earth is a living organism and the environment is linked with us. And that environment really has a direct correlation to our well-being. So that led to that first Earth Day. And I talked to somebody earlier who said they were at the very first Earth Day back in 1970. You know, I think probably back at that time, I wasn't really that involved, but I'm sure I was thinking, oh, those are the hippie, lovey-dovey kind of individuals back then. <laughs> but Earth Day started, and it would provide a voice for raising the environmental consciousness during that time. You know, part of our vision statement at Spiritual Life Center, and Paula read it a little earlier, but it says in part that we're here to cultivate a spiritual deepening with the divine, with each other, and our planet. Because we're all interconnected. It's not like, you know, I'm over here, and, and then the divine is over there, and there's other people that are way over there, and, you know, the planet's just kind of around. We take it for granted. It's really one big organism, oneness. You know, the astronauts, usually when they come back, one of the things that they're always amazed at and what they talk about is that when they see the planet, they don't see division. They just see one big connected being or entity. And we want to connect with that. You know, I shared earlier that many years ago, I had a friend who was a, an expert swimmer, and he was a snorkeler and a scuba diver and all of that stuff. And he said, hey, I want you to go down and come with me and go down to Key West and do some snorkeling and, and, and scuba diving. And I could barely swim, so I don't know what he was asking me to do that for. But, you know, he was a cool dude, so I went down there with him, and he, you know, he brought all the gear. He showed me everything, and he taught me. He was kind of like my teacher, and, and I got a little okay enough to, to go into the, the water. And, you know, it was an awe-inspiring experience because I made a connection with the, the water world and the, a part of the planet that I wasn't really thinking about. And I got to be able to see up close when people are talking about the abundant coral and the marine life and the magnificence of it all. And I think at that moment, it maybe a switch, a flip the switch in my own mind, I realized how precious this planet is that we often take for granted. Maybe, you know, but I, you know, we assume it's going to be here every day. The sun is going to shine and, you know, the air is going to be okay. And then I hadn't, saw my, I hadn't seen my friend in many years, and maybe about 20 years later, I shared how that experience really, like, opened up my eyes and asked him, does he still go down there to do the scuba diving? He said, yeah, he does, but it's not quite the same. And he was telling him because of, you know, rising temperatures and, and, and the pollution, there was more, been a decline in the, in the coral, in the keys, and, and it was very disturbing to him. And as a result, I think it was a byproduct of a fractured and sometimes a degraded relationship rather than a spiritual deepening with the planet that we're here to have. And so 
like I said, talking about Earth Day, which is very different from most talks I give. But, you know, like I said, if we need the Earth. And Earth Day reminds us how precious and how important our connection with our planet is. And so this issue of climate change is probably not at the forefront of most people's minds. It's usually not. We've got so many other things going on in our life and in our world. You know, we've got reports of wars and invasions, and we still have the lingering effects of trying to get through the, the pandemic, and people are concerned about their pocketbook issues, you know, with, with inflation and gas prices and the polarized political environment. But as the safety warning on the side of the mirrors of our cars, I think it still has that little statement in there, that objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. And so the challenge of climate change is more imminent than most of us probably acknowledge. You know, after all, the problems of climate change are often seen as sometimes as a, as a distant thing, a slow-moving train rather than something that requires our immediate attention. But that chain is closer than we imagine. You know, the physical, the biological changes confirm that it's no small matter. The change includes the rate of reduction in glaciers, if you see the pictures across the planet. Increased intensity of rainfall and, and uh, visible changes in the timing, the leafing out of, of plants and you know, when, when birds migrate. It has the potential to affect everyone on the planet. Yet when we have those broad conversations about this very complex issue, it's often limited to the scientific community, often limited to the political arena, which gets it totally out of whack. But we often don't focus on the role of spirituality on our earth and our connection with it. But spirituality and theological thought play an important role in the conversation about our environment and our deepening with our planet. And most of the spiritual paths or religious paths, they may disagree on many things. But most, in some aspect of it, have a philosophical or theological perspective that can be applied in ways that create a spiritual deepening with the planet in which we live. You know, in the Hindu and the indigenous arena, as well as other faiths, traditions, they see ourselves as part of a greater whole. And for these spiritual traditions, they integrate the trees and the flowers and the sacred groves and the sanctified terrains and rivers, as well as the mountains and the elements of the entire ecosphere. And they include that into the liturgical and their personal practice. In some of the Christian religions, the eco-theology focuses on stewardship and the ethics of the earth. In the Muslim eco-theological theologians speak about the idea of the earth renders it as a sacrosanct temple. In the Jewish community, there's a, a fragment of it that thinks the idea of that we're the, the keepers of the earth, which connects humanity and the earth through divine and perfect love. And the Buddhists say and recognize the absolute awareness of the interconnectedness and the mutual causality that what we give out impacts that and all of us. You know, there's a term called ahimsa, 
which means non-injury to living beings as well as to the earth. And the highest principle in Hinduism and Buddhism is to intensely and intensely followed in Jainism is to follow that principle of ahimsa. So most popular traditions and major traditions in some way, shape, or form has a value of deepening our spiritual relationship with the planet. And while there's a debate on how much of it is caused by humanity and how much is due to natural climate cycles, it nevertheless behooves us to, to give this issue our attention it deserves. After all, as I mentioned, if the, the planet is uninhabitable, <laughs> all the other challenges that we have, they are not going to matter. It's like you have a stubbed toe or something like that. But if you find out that you have a heart attack, you don't think about the stubbed toe anymore. So that's our heart. I have a, a colleague uh, who's uh, uh, very, he has a PhD in in, in uh, marine biology. I don't even know all much about that, but I think it's about, you know, some important stuff. <laughs> and she's extremely brilliant and really nothing knows, that focuses nothing but the science. That's it, nothing but the science. She's not concerned about all the politics or policies. What's the science? And so I asked her, well, how bad is it? And she broke it down to me. And after talking with her for a little bit, uh, I realized it's worse than I thought. I had to go do some meditation to get centered again. And some of the stuff she told me was very technical. I won't try to explain it to you because I really can't. But some things I did understand. Because she said she, said she no longer uses the phrase natural disasters. She just says disasters because there's nothing natural about it. And she talked about how hurricanes and their frequency and their intensity and that no one is safe from this. And I lived in South Florida. So I know how they could be. And I talked to my family when they have more of them coming through. She talked about how some of our species are becoming more and more extinct over time. And that sometimes animals try to get away from the heat and they go further and further up in the mountains to stay cool. And then they find there's no place to live because there's no soil or trees to grow around them. And they see the fish are sometimes migrating towards the Arctic to stay cool. And bird watchers sometimes miss the birds showing up because they come at different times than in the past. And how gardeners sometimes notice frost coming earlier and spring, frost coming later and frost coming, spring coming earlier. I thought about that because I used to live in Missouri, and I mentioned, uh, Michael mentioned that this, the team is going to go back, the youth are going to go to their conference in Missouri. Now, some of us used to be, live in Missouri, used to call it misery because there'd be some parts of the year it's extremely hot and then extremely cold, had extreme temperatures. But I remember I had an office that I'd been there for a number of years, and I'd look out the, the window. And I, there was a tree that would bloom, you know, with the flowers, maybe spring and maybe April or so, late March, early April. And then I noticed as years went by, it was doing it earlier and earlier and earlier. And I said, like, it's, it's like late January. Nothing should be blooming right about now. So she was telling me all of this. He said, I'm not trying to scare you, but I want to inspire people into action. And she reminded me that, you know, the answers already exist. We just need to do our part to bring the answers to bear, but to bring them quickly. 
you know, it reminds me that we always have the solutions. You know, she said, you know, you're a spiritual guy. You're always talking about the idea that spirit always has the answer. Well, we have answers already here in this dimension. We already have lots of the solutions. We already know how to transition to renewable energy. We already know how to farm in a regenerative way and restore the carbon to the soil and all the nutrients. We know how to transform our public transportation in our major cities. We know how to compost food and, and transform our manufacturing process to have more clean air. But the question she asked, how quickly can we do it? Are we willing to do it? Are we ready to get our own way for the sake and, and let go of self-interest, which often is money and power, for the greater good? And sometimes she says, he's asked, well, what can I do, people ask. And she says, that's a good question. But perhaps a better one is, what can we do? Maybe the more appropriate question is to ask, because it's less about individuals and more about our collective humanity at this time. It is about levering the power of what Dr. Martin Luther King called soul force in which we welcome everyone to be part of the change of the movement and we can shift the public discourse on the issue of the day. And we all don't have to do everything. We just find what's our passion, what we're good at, and what will make a difference. And if enough people do that, it does make a difference. I remember I, my son Jalen, who I mentioned earlier now, is I have to look up to him. You know, I, I was away for a couple months, and I was taller than him. And then when I came back, he was taller than me. What happened? <laughs> but I remember he was about seven or eight years old. I think he was watching me, you know, shaving uh, that day. And, you know, was, like many of us, we just kind of let the water run, you know. Let's let it run and run and run and rinse off the razor blade. And he said, you know, you're wasting water. That's not good for the planet. You can turn that off when you don't need it. I said, yeah, you're actually right about that. Every little thing helps. We're all in this together. There's a, uh, another marine biologist that I sometimes follow, has a great podcast. And she says that a vibrant and fair and regenerative future is possible when thousands of people do climate justice activism per perfectly. Not when they do that, but when millions of people do the best they can with where they are. And we cultivate a spiritual deepening with the planet in a way that fuels what the Dalai Lama says interests him in this subject. Because he sees it through the compassionate aspect of interdependence. Being concerned for everybody. Not just our neighbor. Not just ourselves, But rather all the beings of the universe. And he says that level of independent awareness, that idea that we're not separate and apart from the environment is what drives his interest and provides his perspective on this issue. Anyway, as we come to this topic of cultivating a connection with our planet and addressing the climate science and all the debates around it, it sometimes can be divisive particularly if there's a belief that one has to be on one side or the other. Or if you're on one position or take one position, you have to be against another position or that group of people or that particular political party. 
And as a result, some people have trouble seeing what the truth and solutions may be and don't want to have anything to do with it. But we don't have to look at it that way. Rather, we can decide what we are for rather than what we're against or who we're against or why those other people are not right. What are we for? I was thinking about, I'm for my friend being able to go back, you know, to those uh, scuba diving and just be happy again. You know, what am I for? I'm here working, walking out of my house and not pick up the fumes from a, a, a fire that's, you know, closer than we imagined. Or children just having clean water everywhere. What are we for? That's why we're here. The world needs a group of people that are for something and living for the divine ideal that the planet and all of us are one. And we simply ask, what is the future that we want to see for ourselves, for our families, and for those who come behind us? And we ask, what can I do? What part can I do in shaping that? As opposed to maybe fighting the past or the bad guys or that particular policy. What do we want to see more of? And once we're clear on that, the ways and means and methods will reveal themselves. Like I said, they're already here. Many solutions are here, the echo solution, echo solutions, the farming solutions, the technological solutions, the energy solutions. And the ones that are not here, the spirit will reveal them to us. It's simply waiting for a consciousness that's big enough, bold enough, courageous enough to accept them. So in the spiritual realm, there are only solutions. And if we only think about the problems, how bad it is, it'll bum us out. But when we focus on the solutions, there are no limits to what we can do to cultivate a spiritual deepening with this precious planet in which we live. So it's from that consciousness we celebrate Earth Day. Peace and blessings to you. We are grateful for the opportunity to share with you today and hope you've taken something from this Sunday's message. If you'd like to hear more from Spiritual Life Center, be sure to click subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening from. You can find out more about our community on our website at www.slcworld.org. We look forward to being a part of your continued spiritual journey. Wherever you are, God is, and all is well. Spiritual Life Center i